Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me, as always, is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today's show is a continuation in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. We're back here again, Peter. Yes, we are. And it's been quite a day. Yeah, we really, whatever we're doing on this show is, is being put into action faster than we can move sometimes. And uh, Jenny's not used to that pace. I am, but yeah. it throws her a little bit. It's and fast. Me and my papers went all over the floor. Yes. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> we have a lot coming at us and there's a lot of need out there and we're able to respond. And that's just such a blessing for these folks. Um, I want The name of this episode today is Broken, Broken heroes. heroes. How appropriate. Yeah. And uh, we've been talking about the heroics and the victories that people experience through these difficulties. Um, but I don't th know if we're making it really clear that there's victories and then life goes on. And, uh, you know, the, there's adversity and there's stresses and difficulties that continue. Um, and that's part of life. And even for our wonderful guests and all the things that we're talking about, the, the meaning and purpose of these difficulties that comes out of this, life goes on and so do the struggles and so do the challenges. They don't stop. No. And some of our heroes, and I consider them heroes in Absolutely. my life. Absolutely. They still are going through plenty. And there's a characteristic that I'm seeing though, folks that have been through a lot, they're easily triggered again. Uh, they ha they have been wounded, they have been damaged, and they do they're doing a lot of healing. But that doesn't mean they can't be triggered. And mm -hmm. they, uh, you might say just a, a little bit about what you mean by triggered. Okay, there are situations that come up in their life. Uh, I'm thinking of one. Maybe I won't get into it yet. But what we see is that uh, situations that are difficult, challenging, bring up feelings of helplessness out of being out of control, expecting catastrophic things to happen, uh, emotionality that is so intense that um, we call looking through a clear lens or a foggy lens, their lenses get fogged up really good. And they move quickly because they go into a crisis mode. Their whole nervous system goes there very quickly. And that means they're going to go into hyper alert quickly. Um, they're going to expect the worst. They're alert uh, their whole system is on edge because they've been through so much. They've been beaten up. They've been damaged and wounded. So this this is there. doesn't mean that after they've been through it and they've come through a lot that that just disappears. It doesn't. We've seen a lot of this lately. We sure have. For some of our heroes. And they are incredible people. But when life comes at them in unexpected ways, um, those old feelings of feeling out of control, Ter expecting terrible things to happen where they, these folks are so vulnerable and feeling so helpless that they go into a panic and uh, they emotionally get out of control. There's an image of this that um, I think, I don't know if we've mentioned in other episodes, we did a training 
uh, with some uh, VA clinics and hospitals back east a number of years ago, and we put together a, a resiliency training for the caregivers there. And the image that we used then about triggering and about this fogging and clouding your pers- perspective was like um, something's happening in the present, and it's similar to something that happened maybe in your past that was very upsetting or traumatic or difficult or painful. And I, I don't know, I, I came up with this metaphor of like Velcro, that the thing that comes along now happens and it, like Velcro, it just sticks to and pulls up what it used to, what had happened in the past. And all of a sudden, you're not just dealing with what's now. You're dealing with what's now glued to what happened in the past. And the intensity of it is even more than what's happening right now. That's a good analogy. So Yeah, I forgot that one. That's from our old training, isn't it? That's from our old training. And, it was, and we used it because it seemed to work. It seemed to help give a picture in people's mind of, you know, it's not just now. It's like, boom, all of a sudden you're dealing with both. That's right. And clinically, they used to call that state-specific triggering. Similar situations in the present are so much like things that have happened in the past. Your, your system doesn't differentiate. Yeah. What it does, unfortunately, when those remnants are stimulated is it complicates the present. It overwhelms the present emotionally and behaviorally. And uh, folks really uh, get out of control. Uh, if they're debilitated, uh, we have friends that we deal with. Joe was here just a couple of weeks ago. He's in a wheelchair, and a quadriplegic. That doesn't mean his body may be, won't work, but his emotions run really high. And you, we see that with people that everything goes into high momentum yeah. and intensity. We, at those times, uh, and I'm going to talk about this today as, as being a supportive advocate, um, to understand that this does happen to folks that have gone through a lot and are wounded. We deal with it in our work. We know how to diffuse it. We've been doing it for, God, almost 50 years. We have great ways of diffusing the nervous system and getting it back to what we call self, normal self-regulation. But in the meantime, when it happens and you're seeing it in, in work acted out in the civilian world, it takes someone sometimes to come alongside these folks and give them a more accurate perspective beyond their emotions, yes. beyond their experiences of the past that were so terrifying. Yeah, and we're not making people wrong for having that all. happen. That Mm-mm. is human. It's not a, some sort of a clinical issue. It happens to all of us. We all have our particular wounds and, and uh, susceptibilities, so we want to point that out. It's a good point. It does happen, and it can happen to anybody. The beauty of healing is it doesn't happen most of the time. But when it does, it's almost like you never worked out a thing because the intensity... In that moment. At that moment and in that particular state, at the framework of time is pretty intense and almost blinding emotionally. Uh, you know, it takes someone to be an advocate, to come alongside and deal with the situation that's that may be very difficult in reality uh, because these folks that are going through this may not be able to do it themselves for a very variety of reasons, but they need someone to come alongside them and stand up for them, to intercede, to give them perspective and support and help, and then also to remedy the situation. I'm a big one on that. I always have been. Um, something goes off in me when I see people victimized, when I see people struggling and terrified or being... Um, uh, 
having their vulnerabilities used against them. That pushes my buttons, and I immediately go into a, a warrior state and, and, and advocate. Um, it it does take that. It really does at times to to move right in and, and reassure the person that you're hearing what they're saying, but that they right at that point can't do anything about it, but you'll you'll do it for them. And also letting them know that there is hope, that it's not a catastrophe, and if it is, we're going to work it out. It's not the same of what's happened in the past. And don't worry about it. We're right here for you. But it's got to be one of those times when you're moving into action time. An advocate has to be someone who moves in quickly and recognizes the need and responds to it quickly. Um, I've been doing it a long time. Um, Yeah, I would add that this is one of the very key parts of your passion in life. mm -hmm. As long as I've known you, Mm -hmm. you have extraordinarily felt compelled to bring justice, fairness, care to people who are in need. Um, That's been just something I can see has been throughout your personal and your professional life. It's true, and it's usually the folks that are vulnerable. Usually there's some kind of handicap or they're feeling like a victim, even if they're not identifying themselves as victims. At that point, they really are being victimized. And it's a vulnerability that needs to be appreciated and respected and protected. There are folks out there that do just the opposite. They look at it as an opportunity to exploit uh, for whatever reason. I consider it a pretty dark thing to do, but I have to say I've seen it so much. I've seen it in the medical system, particularly with elder care. Um, I see these, I see it happen and it just, it's heartbreaking, but the ability to go from being very soft and compassionate to the person that's going through it to realizing what's happening and having to go into action very quickly and move out of that vulnerable, soft state into a more defended state. Not everybody can do that that quickly. I've learned to do it for a long time, and I can. Not everyone can. It's a lot to ask. It is a real skill. I have to say that that's something I have spent you know, the years I've worked with you, learning better, more how to do that. And uh, it's a challenge, particularly there are so many people who have a caregiving, excuse me, have a caregiving nature and want to give, Mm -hmm. want to nurture, want to care, um, and have a heart uh, of empathy. And they're not always the people who are good at action. No, I know. And you know something, that's that's just life. It's true. but that's for someone like myself to recognize and not to make the person wrong, but just to support them and if having to advocate moving quickly. Um, it's, it's, I've seen it, unfortunately, too many times, particularly lately um, in the last few years since my wife's been sick, but for so many others that are flooding into our life with needs that are very real and they need help and we're able to do it. And they can't always do it for themselves. So I do recognize that. And I know when Jenny and I work together, well, you can imagine who's the heavy hitter. It's not Jenny. <laughs> no. And she's very, very effective as a, as a assistant and coordinator. She does a beautiful job. When the heavy hitting comes down, you know, when we're up against some uh, diff- real intense, uh, aggressive difficulty, 
that's not where she comes through. I have to. And I don't think it's, it is for everybody. It's just, it's a part of me. It's the way I grew up. Uh, it's what I had to learn to do. I'd rather not. I'll be honest with you. It, it, it just uh, comes very quickly if I see the need, though. We saw it this, just yesterday. We did. And it broke my heart. And yet, at the same time, things had to be done quickly uh, to help one of our broken heroes. I think we would like to... I would. I hope that we can do, talk about that a little bit more, um, and bring people up to date just a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And we got off to a fast start today. I'm just feeling it myself. I know. I'm a little bit short of breath. Um, (laughs) And so let me just kind of say where we we started. We started by talking about um, broken heroes, people who have uh, been wounded in life, going through adversities, and how it can leave, leave us... Uh, who have gone in, through those experiences susceptible to uh, being very alert, very uh, reactive when something similar happens again, mm-hmm. um, a l- losing perspective, um, getting emotional and reactive, and how we can need someone to come alongside and advocate for us when we're in a position like that to help us uh, kind of come back to ourselves. That it's a, it's human. Uh, it's a vulnerability that that needs to be respected and um, and and worked with. Uh, when we were just before the break, we were going to um, maybe share a little bit uh, just to bring everybody up to date. Uh, I want to mention that in episode twenty-two, uh, Joe Foot, a good friend, wonderful man, was our guest, and we were hoping he would join us again today, and that was the plan. And then something happened uh, quite. Uh, unexpectedly, not maybe not unexpectedly, but suddenly, uh, yesterday, and he's not able to be with us today. And um, we want to have him back again, uh, and we will. But uh, some circumstances in his life seem to kind of fit this pattern mm-hmm. that we've been talking about. And and is there a way that we could share some of this? Uh, well, let me preface that. Um, to me, he's a hero. He's been through Absolutely, a lot. And he yes. is broken. He is a quadriplegic. He is, in some ways, very physically helpless. And he's a good man. And he is really not one of the people that wallows in self-pity. He's not a, He's one of those people that have found ways to appreciate life after what he's been through and be grateful. Um, he's one of the people that, even with his disability, he's found strengths that he never knew he had. But every day, as he said, is a challenge, is a chance. It's the choice of getting sucked down into helplessness and dependency and and, uh, despair or making a choice every day not to do that, but to have a positive attitude, to move forward, to do whatever it takes um, to make a, a positive impact on life and to make the best of each day. Okay, that's, and I'm telling you, we know a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. That do, These are the folks that still are wounded. We're not talking about people that are so self-debilitated by being victims and wallowing in self-pity and 
just choosing all the wrong things, the ways of reacting. We're talking about the people that do react well. Yes. That know, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, that are the winners, that really have, they're, they're making a mark in life. They still are wounded. And under certain circumstances, life will come through there, and their old wounds will get stimulated. Their old reactivity um, of re expecting crisis again, and I'll explain crisis again in a minute, um, comes back up, and they panic. They feel helpless. They feel uh, dependent. They feel embarrassed and, and humiliated and ashamed and worthless. None of that's to be true, but they feel that way. And when that happens, that's their old wounds that are coming up. Their old, the old areas are being stimulated. They have been through crisis. They have been through trauma. Well, what happens is they go back into that very, very quickly. They don't even have to think about it. Their systems will just, if it's triggered, they'll go. that's where they're going to go. It's like survival mode. They go into survival mode. So to them, it's life and death. To them, it's not just normal anxiety. It's a very intense anxiety where they feel that they have no control over anything and that uh, the situation is catastrophic. They don't know the outcome. They don't know if they're going to live. They don't know if their loved ones are going to live. And uh, they're caught in that loop. And and when you mentioned a minute ago that you were going to say a little bit more about what crisis is, that's what you're saying now? Right. And that the, this experience of no control, life and death, this is what, how crisis feels? It's totally fear-oriented. But it's not the normal fears of life. It's traumatic fear. And it's so intense that it's hard to... Well, you're just wanting to make through you you're you're hoping you'll get through minute to make it minute second to second the anxieties are so intense the expecting possible death is everything is so out of control it's a tough one and if if i'm talking to people today that don't know what i'm talking about that's trauma that's crisis that's incredible adversity okay we're talking about people that have been there and back. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they're not living like that every day anymore. No. Not at all. But when certain things begin to happen in their life that they don't have control over and they can't do anything about it, they're very easily sp triggered and they spring back into those old fears that to them they're reacting like it's, they could die, that this is a life and death situation. We see it, we saw it with Joe, which we we love him, and he's had some some rough things happen. Uh, we saw it; it's absolutely objectively true. We certainly have moved in and helped him as quickly as we can, mm -hmm. but we saw how f upset he was, and he just was beside himself. Yeah, and I, it's so I, hard to see. It is such a fine man, and I remember I looked at him at one point, and I said, "It looks like you're feeling really." humiliated and, and broken he says I am mm. and I says you're not no. this is temporary and this we will get straightened out um, and anyone who's exploiting your difficult situation um, you need someone to intervene right now mm -hmm. and I'll be I am the I will do it um, I don't like to see things like that happen but they do happen well, we went right into action, and it's it's we're working it out mm -hmm. and helping him. Yeah. At the time, though, 
he was overwhelmed emotionally. His perspective was gone. His lens, his what life lenses were very fogged up. Yes. And he needed somebody else who had some clear lenses to help him see that this is not hopeless. Um, he's not going to be a victim. And we will get this thing under control quickly. The person who wasn't treating him well, well, that wasn't going to go on very much longer at all. That was absolutely unacceptable. And Joe had been tolerating it for a while because he was so frightened and so dependent. And we heard things starting to happen, and we didn't like the way it sounded, mm -hmm. but we didn't want to intercede too soon. Well, sure enough, it, 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 came to, it comes to a, broken, a breaking point. When that happens, you have to move in as an advocate and someone that's going to support this person and let them feel that they're in control again, that they are safe and they're not, there's not going to be a life and death catastrophe. Well, sometimes when people's emotions are running really high and we have the past that's been triggered along with it, it's, uh, it's not so easy to be reasonable, but we have to do it anyway. Um, I wanted to talk today about something that I think is a very big issue. It's certainly turning out to be one in our lives. And that is the, uh, the need for caregivers and the dilemmas that caregivers have to face themselves. That could be family caregivers. It can be others that are not part of the family, but that's their job and their work. Um, I have a great heart for caregivers. What we're seeing, though, is that more and more people, uh, I, think it's, I think it's increasing exponentially, are needing caregiving from yes. things like strokes and Alzheimer's and cardiovascular and cancer and dementia and all of And they need caregivers, and their need continues to grow. And there's, there's plenty of caregivers out there. What we're discovering, though, is there's, it's a, it's a, I want to say a profession. I don't think it's just a profession, but it's something that needs a lot of work. And we have learned how to do it at our institute. We've learned how to work in teams, uh, how to take care of each other, how to make sure our caregivers are all highly functioning. And when they're not, how to move in, how to support them, how to move somebody else in their spot until they can, we can give them the help they need to get back on their feet. But caregiving is quite a difficult job. It is. It, it combines, to me, it combines some, some basic skills that must be known uh, in terms of how to care for someone, but it also involves empathy, uh, a, a, an understanding of where the person is that you're caring for, both physically, emotionally, and, and every way, and also involves a self-awareness right. uh, so that you, uh, as, the, the, as the caregiver, can uh, have your lens clear that you are taking care of yourself as well. It's a, it's a relationship. It's a role. It's uh, a skill and a calling. It is all of these things at once. And it's difficult. Uh, it's uh, what a job. I've gained a gr I'm gaining a greater appreciation for caregiving than I've ever had before, and for the folks that do it. I know a lot of wonderful caregivers. They're just we have a network of them that's growing. Talk about exponentially, but it's personal. It's mm -hmm. not through an agency. And I know these folks, and I know how good they are and how caring they are and how accomplished they are. But it's still a very difficult job. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> they don't have much of a personal uh, social life. They don't have time for that. Uh, they don't even have. They don't even know many times that they have to take care of themselves too. Um, they're learning. We are seeing it. I'm seeing it in so many different aspects of of life now that I'm involved with taking care of my wife and helping taking care of her, as is Jenny. Um, but interestingly, our life at our trauma institute is filled with caregivers. They may have a higher level of education and, and knowing skills to help folks uh, that go, well, into our skill level. But I'll tell you what, um, we're, we're doing a lot to care also for my wife. And it's an amazing thing for me to watch, an amazing thing for me to learn about. Um, as much empathy as I had before, I have so much more now as a human being. As much understanding of how difficult and distressing it is to take care of someone you care about who's so very, very ill that they can't take care of themselves, to watch them deteriorate and know you can only do so much. Uh, you can love them. You can make them comfortable. You can take care of, help them, help them take care of their basic needs. That's so critically important. Um, but there's something that it can't be uh, defined that way. It has to do with the heart. It has to do with caring and loving. Uh, and if it's a loved one you're taking care of, oh my gosh. I was just going to say that you're pointing out something that we haven't mentioned today. And that is uh, the, the different challenges, some similar but some very different, of someone who uh, comes in to care for mm -hmm. someone and can do it with compassion and skill and all those mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. And it is a, such a different experience than a loved one, a spouse, a daughter, is. a son, a mother who is caring for someone they love and is a family member. That adds so much to More the impact, yeah. It really does, and I, I remember when I, when my wife first got became ill, and uh, I was t doing a lot of the caregiving and working, and I remember I just wanted to find more about it, find out about it. I went to some of the local organizations to learn about it, and they looked at me and they said, "Well, what are you doing to take care of yourself?" And frankly, at that point, it wasn't much. I was consumed with whatever I could do to help my wife. But interestingly, they took a look at me and they said, do you know what respite care is? I had no clue. And they said, it means you've got to take time for yourself. At that point, I looked at them and go, I don't have, I can't, I don't have time for that. And they said, you better make it because this is going to be a long haul. And I, they, I remember they looked at me and they said, I don't know if you realize this, but almost 65%, it was a little less than that, but quite close, of the caregivers die before the people are taken care of. Now, since that time, we've known a number of caregivers that did die before the people are taken care of. And it was yes. always a shock because the people are taken care of were in such bad shape. Mm -hmm. But it's true. Well, when they looked at me at that point, they said, well, in our organization, we're going to offer you $1,000 to get some, to take a break. And I said, don't give it to, give it to people who need it. Now, I don't want it. And they looked at me and they said, you need it now. They knew what they were talking and about. And they knew what they were talking about. It they took, were your advocate. They were. I they was, had a clear lens. They had a more clear lens. Than, yeah, they had better lens than I did, but I was still stubborn. And I was coming from a clinical background thinking I knew what I was talking about. Well, little did I know how little I knew. And six months later, oh, I accepted the thousand. I would have taken 10,000 after how exhausted I was. 
And they were right. Um, taking care of ourselves, particularly when you're caregivers, is a very difficult and yet very important part of being a, a caregiver with resilience and longevity. And uh, it still doesn't mean the situation's going to get any easier. It just means you're taking some time out strictly for yourself. It is crucial. And it is a balance that is so hard to maintain and you just you end up kind of trying to do your best and let's talk about that some more Uh, but first you've been listening to the survivor's guide to life on kpca petaluma 103.3 fm we'll be back after a short break Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. We have been talking uh, just before the break about caregiving and the uh, great need for caregivers uh, that we see around us, we see happening now, and the special skills, empathy, heart, uh, respect, love, um, and objectivity that caregivers need to have to, to to provide the care that they want to provide, not only for the person that they are caring for, but for themselves. Yeah. And particularly just before the break, we were starting to point out the differences that 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 exist between someone who would come in as a as a very skilled caregiver uh, versus a family member mm-hmm. for whom. Providing care for a loved one is a much deeper emotional experience. It absolutely is. And it's so distressing. But there's also something, you, it's a learning experience, I'll tell you that. And that is, you feel with your loving heart for the person you adore and love, as I love my wife so much. But you also begin to come to a place where you have to accept what you're dealing with. And it's a very difficult thing to come to, but also essential. Because when you do that, the denial is over. The false and empty hopes are over. It takes a new kind of hope. And the hope is based on the adjustments you're going to have to make to make this a a well-managed, comfortable, loving situation based on what you got in front of you. It's so important to do it, but it takes it's it's a tough one. I want to just take one moment because we've we've talked about this before, but just in case, I want to point out that this is a really key thing that we've talked about the the how important it is to in in this in these difficult situations to find some way to accept where things are mm-hmm. as painful as it may be. And then to find some way to adjust to what's in front of you and to uh, do what needs to be done. Well, one of the things that's true is there is a, <laughs> I, I know this sounds ludicrous, there is a purpose to pain. This is not something you can do on your own with because Dr. Peter says so. It's because you've got to go through your own experience of pain to come to that place of acceptance. It takes time. Uh, we're all living in hopes that our loved ones are going to get better, that they're going to improve, that this isn't going to last. Well, it's not always the truth. 
So when you go through the pain after a while and you begin to realize with enough information that you're beginning to learn and grow through it all, that these situations are not going to fit our fantasy and that our loved ones are never going to be the same again. You have to come to an acceptance that's very difficult to do and yet essential. After you do that, there is a hope. The hope only is it's adjusted based on the situation that you're working with and you're facing. Uh, the other is being honest with yourself about what your limitations are and knowing that if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be around to take care of them and help them. And frankly, you're not going to do anybody any good after you start getting irritable and angry and reactive, uh, negative and bitter. And believe me, that happens a lot. Um, it's not a good place. Um, uh, it, it does happen. It's a real vulnerability for caregivers because many times caregivers will put their own needs aside after looking at a situation that seems so devastating, they go, now how can I take care of myself and worry about myself now when I have this in front of me? We have that committee we've mentioned before in our heads that says, you're being selfish. You're, t you're worrying about yourself right now when, when this is happening in front of you. You're being selfish. Well, that committee is misguiding you all the way. What really you're hearing is, what you really is happening, your body is facing the limitations and needs to take some time for self-care. It's the self-care that gives you the resilience to persevere and come back, to come back with love, a little bit more positive attitude, more energy, and face the situation for a while. Um, I had a um, I had an experience like that yesterday. I, I, <laughs> I, I love my horses and yada yada. But yes, Sundays are a rough day. I spend most of the day as a caregiver with for my wife. I do have somebody that comes in. Actually, Jenny gets her ready early in the morning um, with another lady, Colleen. Yeah. And they do great. It's lovely to see the two of them in the morning. But the rest of the day is pretty much up to me for most of the day. It's a long day. And uh, at about 6.30 last night, this is Sunday night, we have someone comes in, another angel named Maritha. She's from yes, Fiji. Wonderful She's wonderful woman. Wonderful woman. Yeah. Thank God she came because I needed a break. Mm -hmm. And you know what's really nice with this daylight saving site? It's still light <laughs> Lighter out. later. And I, after talking to Maritha about some business, about helping some others actually, um, finding some caregivers for others, I bolted to, to, to take a ride on my horse. Into, I cannot tell you what that hour and a half did for me. I felt just, I, could, I was sucking up the beauty of the day, the later part of the day, being with my horses and just loving every second of it. Mm -hmm. What really astounded me was when I came home, and it was only an hour and a half I was away. I felt so much, I felt restored and renewed. Uh, I was actually looking forward to this broadcast today. I felt inspired, mm -hmm. um, and I was amazed. But that's how quickly it can happen once you do it right and realize, oh, no, it's a necessity. This isn't an indulgence. This is a necessity. Mm -hmm. Well, what I've learned, too, about the caregiving profession, a lot of people don't know this. And I know a number of people that come from the islands of Fiji, uh, where else, Haiti, um, they'll do a 24-7 shift, and they don't give themselves a break. What we are discovering is they burn out. Yeah, they can. And when they do, 
they're not very good and they can be rough on their clients. We're discovering it, we're learning it quickly. It's not the world we were immersed in, but we're learning. Our network is growing very quickly. And that's what we're having to move in and replace quickly, burned out caregivers, mm -hmm. excuse me. And their expectations for themselves weren't very realistic. Mm -hmm. um, I've noticed for families that hire these caregivers, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I've talked to them. And I say, you know, you need a backup caregiver. This person is working really hard. And they look at me. I says, you know, they have their own lives. They've got a, they've got other things going on. And they go. I remember a number of people said to me, family members, not from my, said, they're that's their job. They they shouldn't be worrying about those things. And I go, they are human, mm -hmm. and their needs do matter. Yes. And to work twenty four seven, without any backup, is a setup for a big crash. Yes. I don't think that... I don't think there's an awareness of that. Not yet. I think no. it really... No, and I think it, if I can say this, I think it, it is part of that committee. It's another aspect of that committee you were talking about that says self-care is selfish. Uh, we, it's kind of a, a, a an attitude or, an, or a thought that um, it'll just happen. Um, this is what I'm supposed to do or this is what this caregiver is supposed to do mm. and um or i'm if i'm the caregiver i'm supposed to do this and uh because it's not about me it's about that other person and and you were just talking about statistics the statistics they're, 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 that are alarming they're alarming and they're directly related to this yes and the number and need for caregivers is is growing exponentially so we're talking about something that's coming on very strong and very fast. Um, we work in teams. We designed teams um, to do this, and it works beautifully. Um, we also make sure that we take good care of our caregivers. And when we see someone who's beginning to not burn out, but they're getting emotionally exhausted and fatigued, um, we can see that their own personal issues and problems and emotions are starting to rise to the surface and contaminate their work, we evaluate it every Monday. And we'll take a look at the team and go, there's your vulnerable person right now. And we've got to take them off the front lines. And somebody else has to move in. And uh, we support that person. We also use our skills for relieving that kind of buildup that we know at our institute as a way of beginning to diffuse them and help them get back on their feet. So we take care of all our own caregivers, but we do pay attention because we know what being a human being means. We know people have their own lives, their own histories, and we gotta make sure that when they become exhausted, and this kind of work is exhausting. It is. Um, you've gotta know that these old issues are going to begin to resonate mm -hmm. and get triggered. And so the behaviors begin to change person's attitudes begin to change and they're not such a great help anymore so it's important to have backup it's important to work in teams uh, it's important to pay attention to the needs of the caregivers and sometimes they don't see it themselves so they have to work with trusted folks that can help can come alongside them too so we look at we're looking at all of these things you're not looking at the experts here you're looking at people that are going through this themselves so many people, for some reason, are beginning to flood our gates mm -hmm. with their the caregivers. Their situations are coming at us more every day, and they're all extremely serious and difficult. 
and we're used to serious that what's one of our mottos at our institute um what is it serious solutions for serious problems yes well the problems are getting more serious yes we have we do have a lot of tools and skills and what we don't have we go and find it and we'll, we'll find other support in the community it takes a community but i think that this is such an important and growing issue that we can't avoid it anymore some of our broken heroes are suffering because of the problems with caregiving. Some of our broken heroes can't take care of themselves. They're broken. They're debilitated. We have to make sure that they're protected too and supported too. Um, they mean a lot to us. They should. They're terrific people. These are not the ones wallowing in self-pity and feeling like victims. Yeah. But the remnants of fear and shock and trauma still exists and when the emotional charge is starting to build up and the history is starting to come to the surface of course they get overwhelmed they get frightened because now they're more dependent than they've ever been before they don't have the control that they used to have and that's terrifying so we pay attention to all of these things i feel that this is a an inspiring and inspired show today because this issue is coming into our life it's flooding me this weekend, I was flooded. And frankly, these were all pretty outstanding folks. And life was coming at them in ways that they couldn't control. And they couldn't manage. And they needed people to come alongside them, to advocate, to intervene, and to set up some new protector, protection for them. These are the people that they need it. Um, I feel that it's part of our calling and my calling. And uh, Jenny's been terrific. I got to tell you, she not only runs her institute; she's very efficient. If I say efficient, she'll get <laughs> she'll get pissed at me. But um, she is very efficient, and she's she's very good at what she does. She's also an incredible caregiver, and I learned from watching her and some of the other people that work with her all the time, and uh, they're inspiring. She, Jenny is inspiring. She's inspiring here. But she's inspiring outside of here, too. She's, she wears a lot of different hats, as we all do, and she meets most of them. Well, thank you, Peter. I, the hat I have to put on now is the one that, that pulls the plug for a moment. Our technician signaling Yes, our, I, I said, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. Mm-hmm. We will be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, In our last segment, I think we covered a whole lot of ground again. Um, And and there's so many different things we could could go back to. We've been talking about the challenges of caregiving, both as a, uh, what you might call a professional, or as a family, a loved one, about the need for self-care, about the importance of going through our pain in these situations, accepting and adjusting to what is is right in front of us, how to um, approach uh, the role of caregiver in a loving way, uh, and yet not to burn out, not to uh, uh, overextend ourselves. Um, 
and Peter, I, I want to make sure that, that we cover the things you want to cover today. There's one thing we could go back to because I thought it was such a really good snapshot. What What's that? And that was what you were talking about last night when you went to, uh, you had a, a about an hour and a half window uh, in the beautiful evening. We're able to go out and you ride your horse. Mm-hmm. Okay, so to me, this is this could be a, a kind of like a tip or a skill that people could take away with them if they can kind of hear how you set this up for yourself, which was that you had spent the day uh, being with your wife, Lynn, and uh, caring for her with some help from other people. Mm-hmm. And you got to this point in the day, and you could feel that you had kind of extended yourself about as much as you could at that point. Um, and in your head, you could have listened to a message saying, as you said, I think, quoting you, self-care is selfish. You could have gone there, and you didn't. Uh, instead, you thought, it's a beautiful evening. Uh, Maritha's with Lynn. I could go out and uh, ride one of the things that I love to do gives me such a break. I could go out for just an hour, hour and a half, and just restore myself. So you went ahead, you gave yourself permission to do that, and then when you went there, you didn't have that tape playing in your head like, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be here, something bad's going to happen, I, 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 I'm not supposed to do this. That's correct. And um, instead you thought, okay, um, I am here. Lynn is with Maritha. She's okay. It's all right for me to do something nice for myself right now. It's important. It's not only all right, it's important. And so while I'm here, I'm going to be fully here. And it, and, and at the same time, I'll just throw in, too, that it's not like a week in Hawaii. You, you know it's limited, and yet it can make and did make a big difference. Well, you brought up a couple of points and I haven't always been so good at. But last night I was. Uh, a lot of times, and I've, I do some active horse riding called cutting horse competition, a pretty adrenaline rush kind of thing, which I'm an adrenaline junkie about. But this wasn't that. But interestingly, what I've learned is sometimes I could take a break, but I don't rest my mind at all. My mind is on Lynn and whether she's okay the whole time. That's exhausting. And yes. it's not very restful. And you are so right, and I'm not the master of that. But last night... It you, sounds like you did. I did. And I was amazed that in an hour and a half, I almost felt like I was in Hawaii. It was so sweet. And I felt so good and so connected with what I was doing and some of the cleanup chores and some of the things with the horses. And I loved every minute of it until it got dark out. And when I came home, I was pleased to be at home. I felt good. I was ready to prepare for this podcast, and that was late at night. But I did feel better, and it was an accomplishment for me. I'm patting myself in the back because I don't usually do this well. I have had to make modifications. That's a reality. That's that adjusting that you talked about. Yes, and the adjustments are not just with time, but some of the intensity, some of the adrenaline rushing competition I do, and I've always been competitive in sports. Sometimes that's too much for me. And I realize it's not an age thing. It's the stress that I've been under. Instead of it helping me relieve the stress, it makes it worse. I've also, it's dangerous that I could get hurt. And I've never truly gotten terribly hurt until 32 weeks ago. And I was injured for the first time. And let me tell you, what a wake-up call that was. 
big tough Peter Bernstein, who is used to healing in a week from an injury and from competition, took 32 weeks. And we have heard that this is true for, for caregivers, caregivers in general, is that they are, uh, their immune system or their, their bodies, they're just, they don't heal the way that, because of the stress that they're Absolutely, under. and it is true. Yeah. So anyway, I'm healing, but I'm not healed all the way, but I'm improving. So I've had to modify. I'm looking forward to going back to competition a little bit. Uh, probably when I can, which will be soon. But to be honest with you, I'm going to have to be really careful because I'm not looking forward to take any energy away from what I need to go back and deal with. So that's the kind of things we talked about last week that I pay attention to now. What's going to restore my energy or what's going to keep taking it away? Because right now my priority is to put my energy where it really matters. So when I do take a break for myself, I look to that. Now, I like physical things. So sometimes cleaning out a stall or doing some physical work around the horses or a number of other things, that, believe it or not, that restores my energy. And I feel good doing it. There are other times, though, if I do a cutting horse training or a cutting horse competition, just the stress of competing can drain me. And I can't afford that. If it's a long drive to get to the place, I can't afford to be too far away from Lynn. Uh, I hear other people do it. I'm not one of those people. If I'm too far away from my wife for too long, the stress level and the energy burn is too high. So I don't I don't go too far. I think that um, in each person uh, has their own way that they know they can kind of refresh and restore. I, my sister-in-law uh, is loves to uh, do art for her being creative. Uh, taking time to do a little painting or something like that is a very restoring activity. And she's taking care of her beloved husband who's got all, uh, early, yes, early onset. Yes, early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. And so she's, when she has a moment and can go up to, she's set up a little a little art table and she can she does watercolor. And for her just to take uh, some time to do that mm-hmm. is, uh, is very, uh, she feels like it, it's affirming herself. You know? She's right. Yeah. And that works for her. She's yeah. right. For me, I'm like such a physical person that it's got to be physical. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't take in the na- beauty of nature. And let me tell you, being out there and seeing that beauty at dusk really touches me. You know, I'm just I'm looking, I'm listening to all of this. I'm very impressed with, uh, uh, you know, I want to say one thing. I get a lot of comments on our broadcasts. And the one thing that stands out, everybody's so impressed with Jenny. <laughs> as a rodeo personality. Can 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 my face turning red come through the mic? I, I don't know. Okay, number one, her face isn't turning red. She's really getting used to this. Oh, oh, uh, Steve, our producer, says the, the, the sound lines are red. So. Okay, anyway, she's doing a great job, and I'm so pleased um, to work with her and to, t- to put a broadcast on that has such meaning and purpose and can reach so many more people, I can't tell you. And Jenny is doing a fabulous job. I'm so proud of her. I know I sound like a father figure. I am a little older than she is. You have been. Yeah, I have been to her. But really, she's coming into her own. She loves doing this, and it comes through the broadcast, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. Well, one of the things that has, uh, other than your encouragement and the encouragement of Steve, our our producer tech, and and everyone involved, is the number of people you have talked to or I have talked to in our community mm-hmm. who need to hear the kinds of things we've been hearing and we've given them uh, 
ways to hear what we're saying. And they come back and they say, this meant so much. I needed to hear this. I was, I'll just throw in quickly, I was in line at Petaluma Market uh, <laughs> yesterday and struck up a conversation with a delightful, sweet woman who had finished uh, her cancer treatment. And uh, just, I, I was telling her about, I was telling her about this. And I, I am constantly amazed that when I get my mouth open and tell people about being a caregiver or about what we're doing, how many people have gone through difficult times uh, for yeah. health of them, themselves or someone they yeah. love. Mm-hmm. If you don't bring it up, you don't realize how many people are touched by the issues that we are absolutely sharing about. Before I even got here today, it happened at the gym twice. I went out to eat before I came here. It happened there again. Um, it's amazing what people share. Uh, a fellow that I know, uh, Mike, uh, is a realtor in town, lovely guy. I know him a long time. And he came up to me, always asked for Lynn. Everybody asked for Lynn. And she's an inspiration to so many people. And uh, he wanted to know how she was. And I thought, and he says, and he's a Jewish guy, but he doesn't know how to talk Yiddish, that's for sure. Jenny knows more than he does. <laughs> and anyway, and... I uh, don't know that much. And, uh, no, but he said to me, and I have my... The word is tsuris, but uh, he didn't say it that way. I said, you know, you're not from Newark, New Jersey. I could tell you that. But anyway, he was telling me about his daughter. His 37-year-old daughter has a 15-month-old baby, and he drives all the way down to L.A. every week to sit with her during her chemotherapy treatments for breast cancer. Oh, my. Yeah. And he says he sits with her. She's 37, got a 15-month-old baby. He holds the baby for her the whole time. Yeah. And he just sits with her while she's going through these treatments. And uh, he's very, very sweet and very caring. Other people come up to me and they say, uh, a waiter today, Juan, he's a wonderful guy, smart. And he was saying, they love Lynn at this restaurant. They've always loved her. And he said to me, it was very touching, but he asked about Lynn. And then he said, uh, what you're doing is a legacy of Lynn, for Lynn. And he says, she's going to be around because she knows that what you're doing, she's, she's staying here for you so you can put this out. And she's, she doesn't want to die. She doesn't want to go anyplace She's fighting for life every day, and she's a very courageous fighter um, because she knows how important she is to you and so what you're doing. I want to jump in at this point because I know Lynn does listen to our podcasts, and I do know because I've known both of you so long that one of the things she loved the most was supporting you in your work. Always. And she is still doing that. Always. By who she is by being there she's supportive of you and to go through this process with you it's just she's still in that place for you she really is in fact i always go and check in on her before the broadcast i always like to check in and what do you think they were doing they were listening to episode 23 oh uh, catching up yeah and uh, i and she, and they said it's really good I couldn't even remember what we did. I I know I, I kind of lose track of it. I too. couldn't remember, and they and they told me, and I and I said, so Lynn, what do you think? She says it was so good. So the, all of these things make a difference. This is a personal calling for our life on our lives, 
And we want to reach as many people as we can who are in need and who can relate to what we're talking about. We want to hear from you. I've got to say, we are hearing from more and more people. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to do everything we can to help and be an advocate for I will certainly be. If it's the rough stuff, it's not Jenny's area. That's mine. But um, she's very, very good, believe me, and very effective. But um, we're here for you, and our staff is here for you. Our nonprofit that represent, that this is uh, part of, this broadcast, is now opened up to for all caregivers, not just caregivers for veterans, because the need is growing so much. By the way, Steve, our technician, is the chairman of that. Uh, and he's a, he's a does a great job guiding guiding presence for that. He really is. So we know that this is a very important part of life, our lives now. Um, and this isn't something that you can just talk about. You gain the resilience, the wisdom, the ability because you're going through it. You got to go through it to really understand it. I am convinced of that now, and we're in the midst of it too. And we will be back. This is a topic we're going to definitely continue. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I want to do one thing before we close, and that is uh, to let everyone know again that, that the episode uh, where Joe, Joe Foote joined us was episode 22. This is 24, and we will have Joe back for sure. Uh, you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. Thank you, Peter, again. And uh, I'm Jenny Stevenson. If you'd like to know more about our show or about uh, Dr. Bernstein, Peter, please visit our website, and that is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. We would love it if you would like us, share us. Uh, We can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, our own website, and KPCA. Thank you, and please join us again next time.